It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno. I'm Guy Benson. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. I'm Evan Brown. Goodbye, New Hampshire. Their Republican presidential primary is over, and in just a month, it'll be South Carolina's turn. So what does it all mean? How does the party get its voters behind one person? If they are a Republican primary voter, most likely they don't want another four years of Joe Biden. That's something that you will unite almost everybody in the party. So focus on that instead of trying to make it revenge-based or punitive. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The New Hampshire Republican primary is over, and depending on with whom you speak, either former President Donald Trump or former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley had great nights. So who won? Does it matter? What does it all mean going forward in the GOP quest for the next presidential nominee? And how will they get the whole party on board? Look, I love New Hampshire. It's such a cool political state. Matt Gorman is a vice president with Targeted Victory and a veteran communications director and spokesman for Republican campaigns. He's worked with South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, Jeb Bush in 2016, and Mitt Romney's 2012 campaign. Rich history. The towns up there are awesome. I'm, I'm from New England, so I have, I have an affinity for New Hampshire. Iowa is, is actually really fun, too. I got to go out of there a lot with, with Tim Scott. So uh, they, those are two very cool states. Um, but you're right. Um, I think, you know, with some of the keys I think were, uh, there's no substitute for winning at the end of the day, right? Getting the most votes than the other person, uh, is better than not getting the most votes. However, nights like last night, what you saw with speeches, both with Trump and Haley, those speeches after the results come in, that's not about recapping the results. You're not giving the play by play. It's about setting a narrative for donors, for the press, for supporters, for the weeks ahead, right? So what Nikki needs to do now is outlay, outlay a very clear path for how she can win South Carolina going forward. Uh, she needs to be able to convince donors, press, supporters that she has a realistic way to do it. Because at some point, it's like Ric Flair, the wrestler from the 80s said, at some point, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. Her job now is to outline a realistic path how she can start winning some of these primaries going forward. Yeah. I, I guess a similar question then for President Trump. I mean, he's he's won in Iowa now. He's won in New Hampshire. And it's great to brag, you know, I've I've won New Hampshire maybe three times in primaries now. That's all great for the for the record books and the trivial pursuit uh players and all that stuff. But what is that what does his results last night mean for him going forward? Because He's very serious about this. This is not, you know, he's he's intending to be the nominee. And a lot of people have already said he's got it in the bag. 
I mean, if you're Donald Trump, you need to consolidate and you need to do it quickly because you need to consolidate the party and get them behind defeating Joe Biden. Because, look, if this comes to be no other modern presidential candidate who is not an incumbent has won the first two contests. So in theory, if he can consolidate the party, we have a huge advantage uh, against, you know, other times where we've dragged out of primary fights well into the spring. I mean, I work for Mitt Romney. Our last uh, competitor, Rick Santorum, dropped out in April. I mean, it's kind of mid-January right now. So we have an advantage to take on a president who's been waiting to run for re-election for four years and known he's going to run for re-election for four years. However, the challenge for Trump is now the standard is the standard. So you got to keep winning. You can't even come close now because, you know, if you start to falter, all of a sudden you look weak and that could throw all of this into chaos if, if Nikki gets some momentum and either gets it really close in South Carolina or even beats him in South Carolina, then it's a very different ball game. And suddenly he looks a lot weaker than he did, uh, you know, say today. Right. Well, you, you talk about consolidating. What does that actually mean? How does it, there's a lot of vitriol and I, I hate to go use the online discourse as sort of a real indicator of how supporters for these candidates really feel or really behave i think a lot of the people that you watch on these social media accounts sniping at one another they 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 i don't think they're typical of the average person out there uh, even if they are even if that person is a, a partisan and a primary voter um so what is how does someone like president trump consolidate uh these republican voters so that they begin to coalesce behind him how you know how does he reach out to them or or what should he not do uh, you know, if you were advising him in that matter, what's the, you know, what's the, what are the top, let's say three things you would tell him? I would tell him lots of carrots, not a lot of sticks, right? right. Open hand. Uh, Trump loves converts. He loves converting people who might not have agreed with him, might not have liked him before. So you want to welcome people in. You don't want to f- make people feel as if they're on the outside. If they don't join up with you, you want to welcome people. And you look, you want to say that, you know, Nikki's going to do what she's going to do, but I'm focused now on defeating Joe Biden. That is what we need to do. Keep your eyes focused on that mission and be like, well, we as a party need to come together and do that because the Democrats are waiting for us and they already are going to throw everything they can at us. So what I would encourage him to do is, you know, eat your vegetables, so to speak. Lots of carrots, not a lot of sticks. Welcome everybody as much as possible with an open palm. Because uh, if you make it punitive, if you try and make them force them to come with you, people are going to inherently resist. And you're right. Most Republican primary voters are not very online. They're not obsessed with what's going on on you know Twitter or Facebook or X or whatever, right? They're just trying to live their lives. And if they are a Republican primary voter, most likely they don't want another four years of Joe Biden. That's something that you will unite almost everybody in the party. So focus on that. Instead of trying to make it revenge-based or punitive, it, it, how would you therefore apply that same advice to Ambassador Haley? Uh, her rhetoric, I would say, at least in some of the publications, has been a bit more dis- uh, divisive. She's called MAGA Americans not normal. Um, you know, I, I there's a good amount of the Republican voter base now that might consider themselves to be you know, I'm air quoting here, MAGA, you know, or, or at least leaning in that direction. That doesn't seem very, um, uh, you know, welcoming. It might be the word. You know, one of the toughest 
points uh, when I worked for Tim Scott was in, in the fall, we when Trump started winning general election head-to-head matchups against Joe Biden, it took away our best argument. I mean that collectively our best argument, Nikki's, Ron's, Tim's, Vivek's even, best argument against Trump. Because I can't tell you how many times in, in, in the states we heard in Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, I I love Trump, voted for him twice, but, you know, I'm just not sure he can win again. I just don't think he can win again. And it was a quasi-electability argument, but it was more of a head argument. It's like, you know, my heart might be with Trump, but my head is just, you know, we got to do something else to win and beat Joe Biden, like I've been saying, right? But when those polls started coming out, Suddenly, the head and the heart weren't bifurcated anymore. They they were they were one, and it gave these you know folks license. Then you know what? Maybe Trump can win. I'll vote for him. If Trump is down five or ten points in a general election matchup to Joe Biden, this is a very different primary. So I think what you're seeing now is his opponents. You know, now it's Nikki, but before it was Ron and others had to kind of rethink how they attack him. Because look, let's face it. You can't come after Trump from the left like you would if you're an MSNBC host. You, you know that that you're running a Republican primary, and I know a lot of folks in the mainstream media don't understand that. They're like, you got to hit Trump, you know, on democracy in January. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, look, we're all Republicans. We all believe in the same things, but there are differences. And I think what you see now is you're trying. Competitors are trying to find certain issues that you know are are still conservative issues. But you don't attack Trump from the left like you're, you know, a, a Democrat. And I think that's the balance right now. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to be successful, you got to do it successfully. The New Hampshire primary is now over. The next big contest that I think people are looking at, of course, as you mentioned, is South Carolina. There's Nevada in, in between there. Um, uh, President Trump was participating in the Nevada caucus, which is the delegate bearing contest. Um Nikki Haley is not. She's going to participate in this Nevada primary, which seems like a almost like an Iowa straw poll type of thing. It's it's kind of for for bragging rights, but not that doesn't really help you towards a nomination. Um, what what's the point of of doing that, and why wouldn't she participate in the caucus? You know, I, there was I know some back and forth between caucuses and primaries because I, as I understand, you know, a lot of the opponents really felt that. You know, the Trump organization had kind of the caucus on lock and, you know, a primary be open to more voters. So there was this push and pull, I think, among some of the candidates. What do you try and compete on Trump's turf in a caucus that, you know, his supporters have really have a very strong hold in? Or do you have a little bit more open in a primary? I think in in large part, that kind of discrepancy among the average voter kind of negate will negate that a little bit. And, you know, look. It certainly helps that South Carolina is Nikki's home state, um, to, to say the least. So it gives her a little bit of a claim to South Carolina um, that I think is special for her. So I, I, what I kind of say is I think Nevada kind of cancels each other out. And you're going to South Carolina, where certainly Trump's won it before pretty handily. But Nikki's been reelected there twice. So you're fighting on fertile ground for both of them. And look, it's not a place you can come in on a fumes, you know. Uh, Tim Scott's campaign was based in Charleston, so I spent a lot of time in South Carolina. It, it's a rich state. You, you, you There's, you know, low country, uh, the Midlands, and you have upstate, and they're very different politically, geographically, how in, in terms of who their, you know, base Republican Party voter is in those different parts of the state. Got to appeal to a lot of different ones. But I'll say one other thing, too, is even with Tim in the race, 
let alone Nikki. Trump had a lot of that operation locked down to an extent. So, you know, it's on Nikki to try and peel some of that off right now in this month between, which is a large gap. We're speaking with Matt Gorman. He is a veteran of Republican presidential campaigns as we get some thoughts on the end of the New Hampshire primary and the look ahead to South Carolina on the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. We have more straight ahead. South Carolina could really be definitive for a presidential campaign. If, if we go back to 2016, that there was this belief that despite big showings from Donald Trump in, in Iowa and New Hampshire, that South Carolina was going to be his Waterloo, essentially, that he was he was going to be out after there, that uh, Jeb Bush would take his his rightful place as the party leader and, 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 and claim that that spot and go on to be a nominee. Quite the opposite happened. Uh, Donald Trump did extremely well. And Jeb Bush bowed out that night in, uh, I think, and probably to a surprise to a lot of people that he would uh, call out. It seemed like he was tapping out early almost. Um, so, I mean, how South Carolina does bring a bit of importance to this uh, um, to this process. I think it's a winner-take-all state as opposed to these proportional um, uh, awards for delegates for the convention. So this is where things begin to get a bit real because the winner, the winner does get that big bump towards that nomination. It's also, you know, look, I, I know better than anybody else with, with Jeb, you know, he we were running out of money. And I think it also stress tests the organization, right? Because candidates can go all in on one state. They can go on Iowa. They can go all in on New Hampshire. And they can maybe, if they succeed in one of those states, take the residual momentum and organization, put it in South Carolina, plop it there. But to do well, like I said before, in South Carolina, you can't be on fumes. And it also forces to you to be able to have an organization building towards Super Tuesday. So if you're a real candidate and you want to do well in South Carolina, well, you better darn well have folks and organizations and things and states for Super Tuesday where multiple states are voting at once and you need a seamless operation. It's You're almost scaling up, right? Think of campaigns like you're building a Fortune 500 company on the fly. So you can start small, but you got to build and build. And South Carolina is one of those inflection points where you either have it or you don't. And to get to that next level where you scale for multiple states, you got to be able to do well there. And like I just said, there's really three separate areas of that state where you got to have a handle on. They're all different. So, you know, there's a sophistication by the time you get to South Carolina that tests you as a campaign, tests your message, tests your candidate that, you know, you can get by a little bit in Iowa, New Hampshire. South Carolina doesn't let you. And you you talk about operationally. And, and I think a lot of people don't understand what that actually means. I mean, you know, and I think sometimes it's it's sort of a Republican Achilles heel is, you know, having the, the people on the ground knocking on doors and handing out the leaflets and whatnot and actually making those voter contacts. The, can, the presidential candidate is not at this point in the game anyway, acting like he's running for a local dog catcher. He can't shake hands. He can't go to breakfast with people the way you do in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, because it's getting too big and too wide at this point. So those operations become even more important from this point forward. And this, you know, do these do do both President Trump, you, you talk about President Trump's operation. Does Nikki Haley have that operation? Does she have it past South Carolina, which is sort of her home base? Because without that, it, it doesn't matter, I think, what messages you have or how you say it. I agreed. You know, look, the way to think about this for your listeners is at, at this point, think of the presidential candidate themselves as a product. You're selling it. You're doing a big marketing campaign. You have people on the ground. Your your point's exactly right. You can't shake hands with every Iowa, every South Carolina uh, primary voter. You can get darn close 
in Iowa. You can. You can maybe not, but if you really work, you can get darn close. That's out the window. You're absolutely right. But the month advantage for Nikki, uh, the, the month gap between New Hampshire and South Carolina for Nikki can be an advantage if she uses it well to raise money, build that organization, and continue to build it in South Carolina. But to your, you're right. Extend that out across Super Tuesday. You got to build that operation. So you need to be able to recruit volunteers. To your point, folks who are going to knock on doors. Look, you can't make up a ten point gap with door knockers, but if it gets tight and it's close, you can't. You can do it. But you also need to raise the money to build that organization in other states. She has to hit the ground running and take advantage of every single day. Now, there's a lot of money behind Nikki Haley that other candidates don't often get. Um namely from the Koch brothers organization or the, the Koch organization, I should say, um, are, are, are groups like that willing? And, and those groups admittedly have been not fans of president Trump. Are they willing to keep sending those big checks to her going forward? Even if she's not showing as much promise as they would like her to see, are they, are they that committed to running a Republican against Donald Trump or running a, so-called establishment Republican person against uh, against the populist, for that matter. Does it, it, how how much of that money is still being moved around? I mean, is there any way of knowing? Well, look, you know, I think one of the advantages about AFP, uh, which is I think what you're referring to, is Americans of Prosperity, right? So they are one of the really preeminent ground operation organizations. Um, just in the party. They really are. And I, I think where a lot of other outside groups will just, you know, write a check and toss it on TV to kind of go out in the ether. I think where their advantage is, is they'll actually put boots on the ground that will that will show results. And I think what you saw in Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, a lot of that legwork was done through AFP. And like I said, you know, they can help add some scale, add some support to Nikki in South Carolina. Um, they're extremely organized, extremely good at what they do. And I think a lot like a lot of unlike a lot of other third party organizations, they actually put boots on the ground instead of just simply throwing checks. And I think that's one big delineating factor. But ultimately, I still think it comes down to likability and, and liking the message. And you've got you've got President Trump, who's has that that likability in there i mean people the people who love him love him the people who don't like him will clamor to someone else perhaps like nikki haley so it does it does circle back to that doesn't it it you know look like i said yeah ground operations and, and look trump is an extremely sophisticated one too they are a very organized campaign from where they were in 2016 to where they are now it's night and day so not taking anything away from that but you're absolutely right right you know, ground operations, like I said before, they can't make up a 10-point gap. They can help on the margins, help get your people out to the polls if it's a close race. Um, but it's incumbent upon, you know, whatever candidate to either get your margin outside of where that could be or to shrink the margin enough where that ground operation can really make a difference. All right. Matt Gorman, you're the vice president at Targeted Victory. You're also a former communications director for the National Republican Congressional Committee, as well as uh, a spokesperson formerly for the campaigns of Jeb Bush, as well as Mitt Romney, and also, I guess, on the Tim Scott campaign as well. Thank you so much for being with us on the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffies, at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.